Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. All right, so uh, tonight we'll kind of continue where we were last week in chapter 17. As uh, we kind of said, this all is one literary unit of, uh, of uh, the fall of Ahithophel. Uh, we remember that prayer that David prayed just uh, in chapter 15, that, O oh Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Um, and that's exactly what he did. Uh, Absalom and all the men of Israel, after hearing Absalom's, uh, uh, Ahithophel's counsel and uh, Hushai the Archite's counsel, they said that uh, Hushai's counsel is better than Ahithophel's. And we looked at this passage a little bit more in depth than uh, other passages, but the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. This was no small task of a prayer to be able to accomplish um, as Ahithophel's uh, 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 counsel was like one consulting the word of God, not just with David, but also Absalom. But then in the end, Ahithophel's counsel has been crumbled and Ahithophel realized that it was not followed. He saddled his donkey, went off home, and he set his house in order and hanged himself. And he uh, died and was buried in the tomb of his father. So in, in amongst this story, we have another little story, you might say. It's always uh, hard to be able to break down uh, stories. There's, there's the big story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. You've got uh, books, which all are one big story, you might say. And in, 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 in the book of uh, Exodus, beginning in slavery, ending in um, freedom, with the Lord coming down in amongst his uh, people. Uh, but in amongst all of this, you have stories that are broken up, and in those stories, you have stories as well. And that's what we find here today. And I want to focus on one aspect. I mentioned this briefly last week. But I think you see this clearly here, that the author at this point, either Gad or Nathan, uh, we do not know. We uh, find out that uh, most likely Gad, Nathan, and Samuel wrote um, First and Second Samuel. Um, have these uh, stories, and they want us to be able to see a connection in 2 Samuel chapter 17 and Joshua chapter 2. And mainly that story in Joshua is the story of Rahab. So I want to make a case for such a connection that I think that you can see those connections um, as we unpack it. Uh, Sometimes when you're preaching, you've got to rush over a couple of this, but uh, sometimes uh, you get the ability to be able to go and say, Here's your working out. Here's how I came to that conclusion. So that's what we want to try and do tonight. That I think these, these two stories have a lot in common, a lot overlap. And so the best way I thought would be to read the passage that we're going to look at tonight in verses 15 to 22. And then go over and read second, uh, Joshua chapter 2 and go to the points and, and see how we see those connections. Now before... We do this. We need to make sure that we're not um, just making some loose connection. When I read this story, I thought of this. Um, sometimes that can be a good sign for you to go back and check it out, but we don't want the, the joins and the connections to be somewhat of a springboard. You just so happen to have this story, and there's one small little connection that you can see that you want to be able to see. You want that connection to be organic. And what I mean by that is that. 
on some level, the author is, is deliberately making that connection for us. Now, there's different ways that this can happen. Um, a lot of times you can see similar words, similar ways they tell the story. Um, the, we need to make sure that it's somewhat organic rather than just saying, I just thought of these two stories and I'll make them fit with one another. The stories need to be compatible with one another from the Bible, not just outside to make it fit. You can always tell a story and tell a story in a similar way later for those two stories to be able to sound similar. But is that something the author isn't intending to do? So we've got to be cautious about that when we're doing this. The second thing is that we need to understand that these are two separate stories. We'll look at this after we read both of them. But they are two separate stories. It's not that the author of Second Samuel, Gad, or Nathan at this point is just saying, I just wanted to make a connection somehow. Let's make up this story to fit it into chapter 17. There are two stories that happen. And when they're, try, they're trying to make that connection then, they're not twisting or distorting the truth or the historical events to make it work. So we've got two things we're going to be cautious of. We are not distorting the story to make it fit, but we also assume that the author is not distorting the story to make it fit as well. So I'm going to read Second uh, Samuel chapter 17, verses 15 to 22, and then we'll turn over to um, uh, chapter, uh, Joshua chapter 2. So this is the second Samuel chapter um, 17 passage, beginning in verse 15. <clears throat> and Hushai said to Zadok and Abathar, the priests, thus, and so did Ahithophel counsel Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus, and so I have counseled. Now, therefore, send quickly and tell David, do not stay tonight for the fords of the wilderness, but by all means pass over, lest the king and all the people who are with him, be swallowed up. Now Jonathan and Ahimaaz were waiting at Enrogo. A female servant was to go and tell them, and they were to go and tell King David, for they were not to be seen entering the city. But a young man saw them and told Absalom. So both of them went away quickly and came to the house of the man at Ba'urim who had a well in his courtyard, and they went down into it. And the woman took and spread covering over the well's mouth and scattered grain on it, and nothing was known of it. When Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house, they said, Where is Ahimaaz and Jonathan? And the woman said to him, them, They have gone over the brook of water, and they have sought and could not find them. They returned to Jerusalem. After they had gone, the men came up out of the well and went and told King David. They said to David, Arise and go quickly over the water, for thus and so has Ahithophel counseled against you. Then David arose, and all the people who were with him, and they crossed the Jordan. By daybreak, no one was left who had not crossed the Jordan. All right, now let's flip back over to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly 
from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went out and came to the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, Behold, two men have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, uh, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, and they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I did not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax she had laid in over on in order on the roof. So the men pursued them after the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard now the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were brought beyond the Jordan to Shion and Og, whom they devoted to destruction. And as soon as they heard it, we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is a God in the heavens above, on, uh, heavens above and on the earth beneath, beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with me, my father's house, and give me a sure sign that you shall save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, For our life for yours, even to death, if you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterwards you may go to your way. And the men said to her, We, we will be guiltless with respect to this, to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into the house your father and your mother and your brothers and all your father's household. Then, if anyone goes out of the doors of his, your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then... We shall be guiltless with respect to your oath and have come and have made us swear. And she said, According to your word, so it be. Then she sent them away, and they departed. 
and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went to the hills and remained there three days until their pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua the son of Nun. And they told him all that he had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away before us. So, now we need to try and make those connections, not just merely a, a, a passing comment, but I think uh, maybe even making those pointing that out before reading those two stories, I think you might be able to see the similarities between them and the overlap. That There are some bits that uh, have uh, similarities between them. Uh, you have a story of two men on a mission uh, to be able to go and either deliver a message or uh, find something out. They're, they come into a place, they're seen entering the house, then they're told the king in, jo- in um, they're told the king in um, the story of Joshua, and they're told this Absalom, who is uh, somewhat of a king in uh, the second Samuel. Then there's a woman who hides the two men from these people coming to find them. Rahab hides them in, on the roof underneath flax, which is grain. And the woman in the well in the second Samuel story hides them in a well and covers them with grain. And then men come and they chase the two men. They're sent out on a quest. They chase the men. They can't find them, so then they come back to the city. After this, then the two men go and flee, and they go tell their leader in Joshua. They go tell Joshua in Second Samuel. They go tell David what that information they have meant. Both of these stories happened at night. Do not stay here tonight in verse 16, by daybreak in verse 22, and then in Joshua 2, verse 5, we also see that this happened at night as well. It's about to be closed. It's all about this time of dark. So I think you can see these, these similarities of these two stories when you put them side by side like that. And they're not uh, disconnected. I think you can go even deeper to a word level to see the similarities in the words that are used in these two passages. But we also need to be reminded that this is a method of writing that understands that as the person writes the Bible, they realize that they're a part of a bigger story. That they realize that they, they're a part of the story of the promises of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That are promises of uh, the Exodus. We saw this in, um, in 1 Samuel chapters uh, 4 and 5 and 6 with the Ark of the Covenant and what happens to the king in um, uh, the Philistines. And what happens with the Philistines as they're defeated. That here God is, is having another exodus. This echo of exodus that happens in that uh, story. We kind of pointed that out when we were way back in First Samuel uh, some time ago. But here again, they're not making this story just perfectly line up. They're telling two historical events. And they're telling those two historical events that there's... They point out the similarities, but they're not changing the story. One thing that in, uh, in, in the Joshua event is the thing of the Rahab, um, going up to the roof, and then the scarlet thread that's over the side. That They're not then trying to fit the scarlet thread theme into the Second Samuel thing. 
But here's the facts. But I don't think it's too far-fetched to be able to see those overlaps and those connections. I don't think we're then trying to force the text and saying the text has to be this way. Like, let's try and retell the story and uh, make it just fit. Um, there's obviously dis- differences. Um, in, in Joshua, the, the story of Rahab is quite a, a very big, important story. There's, there's the oath that the two men make with Rahab, and not just about Rahab, but the father, her whole father's house, that we find out that Rahab is a believer, a woman of faith who shows up in that great hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. We find out something very important, or even um, James even highlights this in James chapter 2. But the same way, not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. So we have similarities, but they're not exactly the same. The woman in Second Samuel chapter 17, we have no name. There's no reference of her after this story, not in any New Testament text. We don't know who she is. There is no mention of this. So we see all these differences, these similarities, but what is being able to lay the facts out and say, here's a connection, do you see a connection, is one thing. The question we need to ask is not what, it's so what. Why is there a connection? What's the big significance that the author is trying to make in 2 Samuel that brings us back to Joshua? It's a big question. I think we could talk about it. We might even be able to talk about if we see a connection at all. Um, I think there's a valid thing to be able to question those and the methods and the uh, significance of that. But here... What, why then would the author of 2 Samuel want to be able to make this connection? And I think this connection is really important, and that comes down to the idea of land. In the book of Joshua, you have Joshua is now with the wilderness wanderings, the second generation that's actually going to enter into the promised land. Joshua is, is assigned in chapter 1 as the leader. Do not fear, I will be with you. Um, we're going to go in and conquer them. And Joshua is about to lead them into the promised land. And, and Joshua really, you might say the significance of Joshua is actually the fulfillment of that promise to Abraham, not just to give him offspring, but also to have land of their own. And that's Joshua, this big story of Joshua. And finally, now the people of God are going to be able to acquire this promised land. But with David, the significance is land, but the other way. David is not going into the promised land. He's actually doing the reverse. He's actually going to be crossing out, and it depends on where you draw your boundaries, but there's definitely that idea, as we've connected before, that David is going into the wilderness. He's going into an exodus. He's exiting Jerusalem, and he's going to go into the wilderness. And now you have Joshua coming out of the Exodus into the Promised Land. You have David going from the Promised Land into the Exodus, into the wilderness. And I think the key that comes to this, what this significance is, is found in the last verse of uh, Joshua chapter 2. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also all the inhabitants of the land melt away before us. 
that the inhabitants will melt away before us. Not only the significance of land, but what is going to happen in the next chapters for Joshua, the rest of the book of Joshua, but the next chapter is also for David in Second Samuel. The one key thing that comes into Joshua is that Rahab remembers how they defeated all these other people. That God will defeat the enemies. And in Second Samuel, God will defeat Second um, David's enemies. Even Rahab pointed this out when she was talking to the two men in verses 9 to 11. I know the Lord has given you this land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard that the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you went, uh, came out of Egypt. And when you did the two kings of the Amorites and beyond the Jordan, whom you devoted to destruction, And as soon as you heard it, our hearts melted, and there is no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is the God of the heavens above and on the earth beneath. That Rahab is able to watch from Jericho, turn on the news at night, and when she turns it on, she hears of these stories of what God has been doing in this other land. Long before when he parted the Red Sea, 40 years before, This story is still going through Jericho. There's these people that are coming. And now they're here. And everybody's hearts are melting. They're able to be able to see the glory of what God has done for his people. And this is another word that then appears in 2 Samuel chapter 17 and in verse 10. Then even the valiant men whose heart is like the heart of a lion will utterly melt with fear. For all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man and that those who are with him are valiant men. So here this connection, Rahab is able to see that the enemy's hearts are melting with fear. And when Hushai is giving his example, he's saying that everyone's heart is going to melt with fear. We we are able to then make that connection and that, that, uh, that understanding And I'm sure even David would have seen these similarities. Rahab was one of his uh, key stories in his family tree. One of those great stories. Have we ever told you about your great-grandma, Rahab? What about Ruth? That he would have heard these stories as well. But why is this then important? It's important that Rahab knew what God had done in the past. And she could almost predict the future. Even for those on that side of the Jordan. How the Lord had conquered the enemies of the people of God when they did not live in the promised land. The king of Egypt defeated. The kings of the Amorites defeated. And they're all defeated by God as... Verse 11 in chapter 2 of Joshua says, And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. There is no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is the God of the heavens above and the earth beneath. Now David is now about to cross over the Jordan. It says that in Second Samuel chapter 17. 
They're going to cross back over the Jordan. The reverse of what Joshua is, he's going into the wilderness. Now, I'm not sure at this point whether David knows he's got victory over Absalom or not. We don't know the inner workings. But up to this point, we've noted several times that David has quite an attitude of it may or if. If God wills, then I will return. Or may God do what is pleasing in his sight. But following this news in 2 Samuel chapter 17, there's no mention of anything like that again. There's no mays or ifs. Now, I think to put a lot of weight in that point, I think can be a little bit dangerous because we don't have a lot of story after this. So we don't know at what point does David say, we're going to defeat Absalom. So I, I don't want to put, but it's just an observation. But God will show this truth. That those reading this passage, not just David in the passage, but those reading the passage also see God's hand at work during this time. They would see this reality. Although the people in the story leave the promised land, God does not leave them. So this story years later. For those who are in Judah and then sent into uh, Babylon exile, they read this passage, they know that as they leave, God's promises does not leave that person who leaves the promised land. That God goes with them. Even Jesus would leave the promised land to flee King Herod. To flee an evil king who seeks to have him put to death. But that doesn't stop God's plan or God's ability to be able to protect his people. The Christ shows his victory over kings and rulers, as Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1. And what this immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and the power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also one to come. For he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills it all in all. That we know, as we've read Second Samuel, we, we, we get clues and hints because the author knows the end of the story. We know because under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, last week we, the author told us that the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel, so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. But now we start to see how this plan starts to take place. That Ahithophel hangs himself. But we also see further signs of this in the rest of chapter 17, verses 24 to 29. 2 Samuel chapter 17, verse 24 to 29. And David came to Mahanaim. And Absalom crossed the Jordan with all the men of Israel. Now Absalom had set Amasa 
over the army instead of Joab. Amasa was the son of the name of Ithra, the Ishmaelite, who married Abigail, the daughter of Nahash, sister of Zeruiah, Joab's mother. And Israel and Absalom encamped in the land of Gilead. And David came to Mahanaim, Shobi, the son of Nahash, from Rabbah of the Amorites, and Machiah, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar, and Barzillai, the Gileadite, from Rogelium, uh, brought beds, basins, and earthen vessels, wheat, barley flour, parched grain, beans, and lentils, honey and curds, and sheep and cheese from the herd. For David and the people with him to eat, for they said, The people are hungry and weary, thirsty in the wilderness. So here, even I think you can see that connection of that, that big theme of, of, um, of David and his people leaving into the wilderness, and then God provides for them food while they're in the wilderness. Things to eat and drink for those who are weary and thirsty in the wilderness. But we also then see this contrast between Absalom, who chooses Ishmaelites as his commander, Psalm 83, verse 4 and 6. They say, Come, let us wipe them out as a nation. Let the name of Israel be remembered no more. For they conspire with one accord against they who make a covenant. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagarites. And here, they've set war with the people of God. And yet, um, this is who Absalom sets as his commander over the army. However, David and the people are with him in the wilderness are being provided for. They have been throughout this whole time. Um, even Second Samuel chapter 16, verse 14. And the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary at the Jordan. And there that he refreshed himself. Although we do not know the outcome, as, as we pretend to be first-time readers... We can see Absalom here as being compared to those enemies who fought with Israel as they crossed into the wilderness. David and his group, which includes people like the Ammonites, although enemies have been sided with the true king of Israel, even the Gileadite, uh, again, from where Saul is. So we have uh, enemies joining David to be able to fight on his side, but we also have those joining Absalom, and they're the ones uh, joining David's side or feeding them. I'll uh, end with uh, Psalm 107, verse uh, 4 to 9. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty, for their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. So here uh, we see God providing for his people and he does so in this passage. As we see these similarities, what you might say is another echo of Exodus, a reverse echo of God saving his people in the midst of a wilderness. 
by providing a way for them. He is going to defeat his enemies. That's what we saw in 1 Samuel chapters 2, 4, and 5. Is, um, uh, 4, 5, and 6. Is we saw God was able to fight for himself. No one was around the ark beside God, but God was able to deliver himself and bring the ark back to um, uh, the promised land. But here, David is now going out. And God is going to be able to deliver David even from the wilderness, even from the council of Ahithophel, which is defeated in this time. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.